This is Lisa Murkowski, Chairman of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee with Murkowski's Message Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of Murkowski's Message. This is Thursday, the 30th of July. Thanks for joining me. We've got a great guest on on the podcast uh, this afternoon, Dr. Ernie Moniz. He's a nuclear physicist who served as the Secretary of the Department of Energy from 2013 to 2017. I had uh, a great opportunity to work with him on, on many matters at that time. Um, Dr. Moniz has a pretty impressive resume. It's an incredible resume, actually. Great expertise. He's now the president of Energy Futures Initiative, and he focuses on clean energy thought leadership with his team. But, uh, you know, he's truly that, that thought leader that we look to for, for a great deal of the expertise. Um, Dr. Moniz testified at a hearing that we held at the Energy and Natural Resources Committee earlier this week. And it was, it was one of those uh, hearings where you just get energized uh, throughout and, and afterwards. Our focus was on carbon removal technology. So we'll talk about that. Um, but we'll also take a, a deeper dive on some other trends in energy employment and, and clean energy. So Secretary Moniz, welcome. Thank you for, for being part of this podcast episode. Really, really appreciate your time today. Well, it's, it's my great pleasure, and I have to say that I will return the compliment uh, in terms of your leadership in the in the Energy Committee, I think, has also been uh, quite extraordinary, and uh, we have um, fun, and I hope impact, uh, in uh, collaborating with you. Well, we, we've had we've had some adventures uh, previously, and, and uh, between all that you do and, and my interest in this area, we're, we're going to have more, and I look forward to that. So I mentioned the um, the hearing that we had this week on large-scale carbon management. For those who are not familiar, this is a this is a really rapidly emerging field. It focuses on capturing carbon dioxide from power plants, uh, from the air, from the ocean, uh, but then not just capturing it, but having the opportunity to to utilize um, in addition to to storing the carbon so it doesn't contribute. To climate change. This is something that I've been interested in for quite a, a long period of time. And Secretary Moniz, you have been so focused on this. It was not not uh, too long ago we had the opportunity to sit down as you uh, detailed uh, your report on, on carbon removal that EFI, the Energy Futures Initiative, released. Um, but I, I I think we recognize you know, where. We, we are moving towards renewables. We are, we are moving towards uh, reducing our, our emissions. Um, but our reality is that when it comes to fossils, fossil fuels, we're going to see them in use for a long time to come. And so having the capability to effectively manage uh, or even offset emissions from their use is going to be really critical as we're, as we're looking to how we address, how we limit the impacts of climate change. So the, the report uh, that EFI um, uh, laid down, uh, Clearing the Air, it's a pretty great title. Um, give us, I, I know we only have 25 minutes on this, on this podcast, so you can't give us all of the details, but, but really with this report, um, 
what what action items you are calling on the federal government to do uh, in response um, uh, to to these initiatives? Well, let me uh, first say, um, uh, uh, Madam Chair, that um, the motivation uh, is uh, really became very very compelling uh, as the science has evolved, uh, even in the even in the less than five years since the Paris meeting. Uh, and um, and ambition uh, is, if anything, increasing in terms of reducing emissions and uh, and limiting uh, global warming. And of course, in Alaska, uh, where you get roughly uh, twice the uh, the warming that one does in the mid latitudes, mm -hmm. uh, you you know very well the the challenge. So, uh, with that greater ambition comes the idea that uh, we are to get the greenhouse gas emissions uh, into the atmosphere even lower. And that's where your conclusion, I think, is exactly right. Uh, that is, we are not going to be able to, you know, mitigate uh, our way. Mitigation will be very, very key, but we will not be able to mitigate emissions uh, all the way to zero, if you like. That's why we talk about net zero, and that's where negative carbon technologies come in, uh, carbon dioxide remo uh, removal. And also, by the way, there's a lot of discussion about later in the century having a net negative emissions economy, uh, in which case it's by definition you have to have these uh, carbon dioxide removal technologies to be successful. So what we said is that if we're going to have this on a large scale, and by the way, the National Academy of Sciences has said that we should really be thinking about ramping up uh, the carbon dioxide removal globally uh, to around 10 billion tons uh, of CO2 by mid-century, so for the United States, that means maybe 2 billion tons, which is a large fraction of our emissions. Yeah. Uh, and if we're going to do that, we've got to start now. So what we called for specifically was uh, to make this decade, uh, let's say starting in 2021, uh, the decade of, of supercharged innovation uh, with a major uh, cross-government program on carbon dioxide removal, uh, that presents challenges, as you know, for the administration to work across all the agencies. Uh, it also presents challenges for Congress, which, after mm -hmm. all, is in many, many ways organized along agency lines. But I think the good news here is, and we can discuss it in more detail, is this $10 billion decadal program that we recommend does have lead players. Uh, nearly half of the funds, for example, that we see in the plan would be for the Department of Energy. Uh, but then USDA, NOAA, NSF uh, would have significant roles, and about six other agencies would also have roles. But I think that what we can do is start step by step. Let's get the program going at the Department of Energy, at USDA, uh, at NOAA, uh, and uh, we can in this decade innovate our way to something that will really scale over those next couple of decades. Well, that's that's well summed up. You know, you you mentioned just the the, the cross cut uh, across all government agencies and 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 how broad an effort that may be. This comprehensive interagency effort, um, I think, it makes a lot of sense. This is the way it's got to happen. It's so important to coordinate. Um, you know, we've got to figure out how we're using taxpayer dollars smart, and so working. Um, uh, really with a with a comprehensive interagency effort is, is so so important so 
I had introduced a, a, a bill, we mentioned this at the hearing this week, um, introduced it with Senator Sinema, uh, um, kind of taking a page from your report, we call it the CREATE Act, and it establishes this coordinating body in the National Science and Technology Council for carbon renewal, removal research and, and development efforts. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that you think that this approach, uh, again, a, a broader coordinating body is, is going to be important as we really try to, to use your terms, um, move towards a supercharged innovation. Absolutely, uh, and, 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 we, and I thank you for uh, introducing the uh, CREATE Act. Um, uh, we just mentioned uh, how, uh, how different agencies come in. It may be worth noting that, for example, uh, the Department of Energy uh, would have a major role around carbon capture, uh, CO2 utilization, and, and of course, uh, we need to invent uh, a major sequest carbon sequestration, geological sequestration uh, industry. Uh, the Department mm -hmm. of Energy would have a lead in that, and, and other parts as well. But the USDA, uh, a lot of the program would, would revolve around land use issues, um, uh, new kinds of plants, uh, USGS, uh, mineralization, accelerate the mineralization uh, that converts CO2 into minerals, NOAA, uh, both in the oceans where we uh, need to uh, benefit the health of the oceans by uh, decreasing the acidity that we are getting, but also get CO2 uh, out of the surface layers. Uh, and also, it's not just in the deep oceans, but also in the, if you like, the green water. Uh, uh, mangroves, using uh, kelp and seaweed, uh, 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 harvesting really in a sustainable way. These are all ways of getting CO2 out of the atmosphere. So it's a broad program. It's going to take a lot of skills across those agencies, and a mechanism such as what your bill uh, will introduce, a mechanism to get that coordination across the administration is critical. And then, of course, again, and I'll just say that uh, we're going to have to get that coordination uh, across the various committees in the Congress as well. Mm-hmm. lot to do, but it is... Um, uh, it, it's really exciting to think about the, the, the different roles and the different applications and, and really the level of innovation that we're seeing. You know, it was not too long ago that um, what we were talking about was all, was all carbon capture. We were just going to capture it. And uh, I, can, I can remember I was uh, with a group of other senators and we were over in uh, in Aberdeen, Scotland, we were at the University of Aberdeen there where they're doing a great deal with carbon management. And I uh, would just kind of slip into the old terminology talking about carbon capture. And it was like, why, why are you limiting yourself to just capturing it? Why are you not thinking more broadly about managing carbon? And, and this is a distinction um, that I think is, is important and, and part of what we're talking about with the level of innovation. Can, can you speak to us about that, uh, Mr. Secretary? Well, uh, certainly my, my, my view is that it's a very important distinction. I mean, carbon capture, as you imply, uh, generally refers to uh, especially capturing it from power plants and industrial facilities, you know, in the, in the stacks, in the, in the, uh, for example. Uh, and that's important. 
uh, and it will be important to similarly capture uh, the CO2 out, out of the atmosphere. However, carbon management is a much, much bigger term, and uh, it rests in the fact that uh, with the land uh, and the subsurface um, and the air and the oceans, we have a major dynamic uh, system, a carbon cycle, with CO2 being emitted, being absorbed, etc. What we're really talking about here is managing that carbon cycle in a way that puts more of the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and into the land and the oceans. And you know, one of the things that uh, that we get a little bit excited about is, is some of the um, some of the the products then that can be um, uh, can be made out of what we would have regarded as just this is this is this is waste. Um, but in fact, uh, what we saw at the hearing the. Assistant Secretary of Energy had brought in some props. He had, I don't know if you saw this, um, he had mm -hmm. a piece of, of decking material that was uh, made yes. out of, of, of CO2. He had some, uh, some, he talked about the roof products. I, again, um, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot that can be done. Um, let's not just, let's not just figure out a way to only uh, stick it in the ground, but how can we utilize uh, what yeah. has previously been viewed as waste and turn it into a positive. Yeah, I, 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 I should have added that as well. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. Of course, the, the utilization, it's, we're still challenged uh, uh, in terms of, of cost, but this is a major, a major direction. It's a major focus of the innovation that, that we also, we also uh, emphasize. Uh, so we've got, to, we've got to be able to put the CO2 into large commodity products like building materials, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, cement, uh, you know, and, uh, and it's happening now. The question is getting, is getting the cost down. Uh, and uh, and I, would, I would argue that, of course, a lot of the uh, biologically uh, uh, motivated work uh, uh, could be biofuels. Uh, it could be this, for example, growing seaweed, uh, et cetera. That is also, of course, utilization of, of the uh, of the CO two uh, in, sure. in products that, that we all use. So it's, it's mm -hmm. a very it's a very very broad field, uh, and and this whole system of of managing uh, CO two is absolutely central for our future. Yeah, it's central, and it is it's an area where again there's it's wide open uh, for for innovation. There's a lot of as you point out there's. We, there's still a lot of hurdles we have to overcome. We've got to deal with the, the cost aspect of it. Um, uh, just because the idea is is uh, is out there doesn't mean that it's cost effective. So how we work to to address that um, again, ultimate challenge here. I think uh, you referred to um, it as uh, mission innovation, um, and uh, I know that uh, Joe Hazir, uh, when he was answering some questions, mentioned the importance of of the Mission Innovation uh, Initiative, which, which is really the um, the effort as we're as we're looking to to push out um, uh, funding for research and development for clean energy, um, but uh, that is something that again, as we think about, well, how do you 
how do you ensure that the good idea is actually um, uh, that we're able to, to commercialize it? And so that is a step that, that continues. Uh, we need to do more when it comes to our R&D budget. Uh, but we also have some opportunities um, in, in, in partnering with, um, with others in other countries as we're looking to develop these new technologies. Is that something that, that you all are focusing on at, at EFI, is, is, is broader partnership? Uh, yeah, yes, we are. If, if I could say, in fact, a word about Mission Innovation, uh, mm -hmm. which you mentioned, um, and for the listeners, that's with a capital M and a capital I. Uh, if you go back to the Paris meeting in late 2015, of course, everyone remembers the last day of the meeting, which was uh, when the agreement was, uh, was signed. Uh, but uh, often people forget the first day of the meeting. Actually, when the national leaders were there, the announcement was of mission innovation. At that time, it was 20 countries uh, committing to uh, at least try to double their uh, innovation budgets uh, over a five-year period. Uh, and uh, and what I think what's important there is that was the message that the world was putting innovation at the center of climate solutions, uh, which I think was absolutely, uh, absolutely critical. So now, going forward, um, uh, the question is, can we use mechanisms like that for increasing international collaboration, um, international collaboration that moves the ball? I would say that carbon dioxide removal uh, is one of those areas uh, where uh, it is absolutely uh, right to pursue this in inter uh, internationally. For one thing, much, much of the work is not, let's, let's say, like building a new battery. Uh, where you have all kinds of intellectual property issues to resolve. These are kind of common problems for managing uh, our global commons uh, in, ter in, ter in terms of climate. So, so I think that uh, we need to get those uh, innovation budgets up, and I, and I think Congress has been, been working on that. We're not mm -hmm. on the pace of mission innovation, but I think Congress has been doing that in a bipartisan way. Uh, I think we need to up the ante even more especially, as I say, uh, to make this, the, this is the critical decade of getting the fruits of innovation in front of us and certainly uh, getting these carbon dioxide removal options across the portfolio. Uh, this, is the, this is the time to do it. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm very excited also to work with you and your colleagues uh, in trying to build up the momentum uh, to, to get, get this train moving fast. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and as, as we mentioned um, before, before we got on the, on the podcast here, it, it does seem that there is um, increased motivation and interest. And, and again, I, I will credit you and your team um, at EFI and so many of the others that have really been focused um, a, a lot of, of, of thought and um, uh, really making the case. And that, uh, that's an important uh, part of how things happen at the uh, at the legislative level as well is uh, is when we can rely on on experts such as you. We all know, though, that you can have great ideas, you can have lots of innovation, you can even have the resources, the the funding, but you have to have the people to uh, to help facilitate this. And I know that Energy Futures Initiative also uh, develops an annual energy employment report. Um, you do this along with the National Association of State Energy Officials. 
and uh, uh, you know we you put out an update for for 2019. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of of the COVID pandemic, and and uh, you see impact there. But just a more broad question for you in terms of what you're seeing uh, in the energy industry. Uh, what might that mean for the pace of innovation and our future ener energy supply when, when we think about um, the impact on, on employment here? Well, let me start uh, by making a comment first in the pre-COVID years, uh, because this will, I think, help guide us uh, in, in, in our, hopefully, our pathway out of this uh, both health, uh, health, social, and economic disaster, frankly. Uh, but if you look at the five years uh, where we did these reports um, uh, on unemployment, the biggest message of the five-year trend was that job creation in the energy industry in, during those five years was more than twice the pace of job creation in the economy as a whole. So uh, fast-forwarding now, uh, clearly we have an enormous need to create jobs. Uh, as we climb out of this COVID, uh, COVID crisis. And it's going, to, it's going to take a while. But my argument would be, well, the track record is there, that there's high leverage in jobs in this energy industry that is undergoing significant change. So first I say, let's focus a lot. Uh, and if in Congress, whether it's stimulus or extra appropriations or whatever, but let's focus on... Uh, putting resources into the energy arena, skating to where the puck is going to be, that is, it's, it's going to be in this energy transformation um, uh, that will include the uh, carbon dioxide removal, uh, and that will be a really great way to go forward. Now, uh, clearly, the COVID-19 has had a big impact. It's had an impact in essentially reducing demand uh, because of the economic downturn. So, our, so oil use is off still about 10% uh, globally. It was more than that uh, uh, for a while. Uh, electricity use is down 7 or 8% uh, net, uh, et cetera. Uh, as we look forward, and let's take oil uh, as, as an area where obviously there's a lot of focus. Uh, U.S. supply um, dropped from 13 million barrels a day to somewhat over 10 million barrels a day. Uh, uh, obviously, big dislocations. We've had a bunch of bankruptcies, uh, unemployment. Well, let's think about this in an integrated way. Uh, the economy is going to come back. There is going to be an increase in demand, just at the same time as there will be increased electric vehicles. But I mentioned earlier, we need to build up a new carbon sequestration industry. Well, if you think about it, the oil industry skill set is just that which you need for sequestration. So in other words, as we think about the oil industry and how it evolves, and we think about building the sequestration industry, we should be able to really minimize the dislocations for workers and for communities in that transition by viewing this as all part of, you know, one <laughs> Uh, integrated, if you like, uh, industry. So that's why I think that the looking at these at this broad portfolio is so exciting. Carbon capture, sequestration, CDR, hydrogen uh, as mm -hmm. a 
a place where natural gas can evolve into hydrogen. All of these will have the opportunity for job creation and drawing upon the same workers and communities that I think we've, uh, we've, we've had engaged in oil, for example, uh, for quite some time. Hmm, that's good. That's good. I'm gonna. I'm going to end with a uh, also a, a broader uh, question to you, but I'm gonna bring it back home to to Alaska specific. Um, you'll recall that the trip that we took to Bethel in uh, in 2016 February. A little bit uh, a little bit cool, um, but that's southwestern Alaska in the winter time, but. Uh, great hearing, field hearing, as we focused on, on rural energy innovation. Had a chance to, to visit uh, a little community named Oscarville, where, um, for those who are listening, uh, Oscarville is not connected to Bethel by a road, um, but there is a river, and during the wintertime, that river is frozen, and uh, that's, how, that's how people get around, so driving down the frozen river. I think you commented that was the first time you'd been been part of a, a, a motorcade uh, on, a, on a river. Um, mm -hmm. but it was instructive, uh, I think, for not only you but those on your team to, to really understand what it means to be in a, in a small, remote uh, village or community that relies on expensive diesel fuel to, to meet their energy needs. So last question to you. Um, you you're in the business now of of, of, of innovation, of really focusing on, on uh, great opportunities to transition to, to cleaner uh, energy futures, more affordable energy. What do you see for remote communities like, like some of the ones that you saw in Alaska and the promise for, for those kinds of technologies that, uh, that may be um, just a little bit different than being on, on a grid somewhere? Right. Uh, well, first of all, that trip was very, very, very interesting indeed. Uh, and in fact, one of the technologies that we were discussing there was this issue of capturing uh, the energy in the in, in river flows uh, with uh, with mm -hmm. turbines in, in in rivers. Uh, that's an example where uh, uh, it obviously depends upon the the, the regional uh, and local uh, conditions. But there's an example of a, of a renewable resource that could be captured, uh, as well as uh, things like wind in the right places, but an, but another technology. I mean, there are many, but another one that I think is is really interesting uh, is the development of uh, micro reactors. Uh, so these would maybe be megawatt scale nuclear reactors, uh, more like almost like nuclear batteries, where you know you don't have to go through complicated refueling. You put them in, you take them out, uh, etc. And I think there's some very interesting work going on. Actually, Canada is doing quite a bit of work on this uh, for uh, uh, deployment in their remote communities, remote mining operations and the like. Uh, clearly, uh, for Alaska, that would also be quite relevant. And to be blunt, I'd like to see us uh, uh, up the pace of development uh, in, in the United States mm -hmm. of these micro-reactors, as well as what are called the small modular reactors, maybe 50 to 200 megawatts. But I think these 1 to 5 megawatt reactors could be Really important uh, in uh, in rural uh, rural areas that are not going to go on onto a grid. I might also add that um, uh, obviously uh, COVID uh, has raised issues that uh, I don't think we can answer right now, such as how much 
will work change uh, to be uh, to be remote, for example, uh, and uh, clearly we're going to see more of that than we did before, uh, as uh, as the world has seen reasonably high productivity uh, despite the the shutdown, at least in many sectors. Obviously, not the entire economy, but that raises another issue that I think as we look at these rural uh, areas, we need to look at infrastructure in a more integrated way. Clearly, the energy supply is important, but so are things like broadband. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was 80 years ago, uh, roughly 85 years ago, uh, during the uh, Great Depression, uh, when uh, we had the big push for rural electrification, and it's, it, it changed major parts of our country. Uh, we can do that now, even for off-grid, with uh, microgrids and distributed uh, uh, energy, but we also need to do it with integrated with broadband, which of course needs electricity to work, uh, and uh, and that will just open up uh, so many possibilities for these uh, uh, for these communities. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's 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 very exciting to use this time to think about how we fundamentally change the infrastructure to meet our future low carbon energy needs, uh, but to meet also our social equity. Uh, responsibilities to to serving all of our people. Yeah, boy, that is really well said. I I, I appreciate what you have outlined with regards to the potential for micro reactors, advanced nuclear. As you know, that is something that uh, that I have um, been working to to advance. Uh, I I think that again, when you are in remote places. Um, uh, the, the accessibility, uh, just uh, recognition that bringing in uh, expensive, dirty diesel to power a community is, is probably our least sustainable option. And so as we look to some of the, the opportunities that are out there, uh, I have been one that has said, let's, let's do everything that we can uh, to, to better understand the potential and move, move quicker to... Um, to really being able to get these, these micro-reactors and, and uh, uh, these clean sources uh, of energy out into into all of our communities. So mm-hmm. your, your point about the broadband infrastructure is so key because we, we really can't, we can't separate um, what we're doing with the innovation and the advancements in, in energy unless we talk about, about our, our, our capacity issues, which... Um, broad, broadband uh, clearly is. Mm-hmm. And, and could I could I just add, um, uh, 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 Senator, that uh, uh, of course we also, in addition to Bethel and Oscarville, uh, we also visited a laboratory, a permafrost laboratory. I think it was outside Fairbanks, if I if I, yes. if I recall correctly. Uh, and uh, that was also a major uh, <laughs> visual. Uh, it made a major visual impression about how important it is to address these issues uh, and uh, global warming and the like for Alaska and, of course, for the world, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, the the global warming challenge is global, even if uh, the Arctic area does have the extreme uh, temperature variations. So I think the visit the visit to Alaska 
just brought a lot of a lot of these themes together, uh, and uh, and I think we should take optimism from it that we can solve these problems. Well, you lead in the area of, of optimism and enthusiasm. I, I have always, always appreciated that. So, uh, And believe me, you are welcome back to the great state of Alaska at any time. Uh, we've got lots more that we can show you. Um, so I would, I would look forward to that. But thank you for joining me today as, as we've discussed these, these important and um, uh, really, in so many ways, uh, transformational initiatives with carbon management, uh, what, we, what we hold in terms of the promise for the innovation uh, for clean energy solutions. It's, it's always fascinating. It's always invigorating. So I, I appreciate that, Mr. Secretary. I thank you for your leadership. Thank you. And to those who have joined us for this episode of Murkowski's Message, be safe, be healthy, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Take care.